article, you know. Our private life has to take backseat to every dumbass little news story that comes down the pike. The landlady smiled faintly. I'm not sure Her Majesty would appreciate that description of her sojourn. Okay, maybe not tonight, but she's done this half a dozen times this month. Besides, it's not like we have that much time. She's 32 and I'm 38. Ancient, said the landlady. It is for making babies. It's shit or get off the pot time. Mrs. Madrigal winced. Your metaphors need work, dear. Tell me, when exactly did you last talk to her about this? He thought for a moment. Three months ago, maybe. And six months before that. And? She keeps saying we should wait. For what? You tell me. For her to become an anchor, maybe? She doesn't want to. That's the bottom line. He remembered the time and reached for the remote control. At the slightest touch of his finger, Marianne's face appeared on the screen, only slightly larger than life. She was standing in an alleyway behind Trader Vic's, smiling incongruously in a deep blue sea of cops. My goodness, beamed Mrs. Madrigal. Doesn't she look just splendid? He smiled at the set for a few proud moments, then turned back to his landlady. Tell me the truth, he said. All right. Does she look like a woman who wants to have a baby? Mrs. Madrigal's forehead wrinkled. Well, she began, tapping a forefinger against her lips. That hat is deceptive. When Marianne got home at midnight, she noticed that Michael's lights were still on. For some reason, that worried her, activating an instinct that might roughly be described as maternal. She hesitated on the second floor landing, then rapped on his door. He appeared moments later, looking rumpled and a little discombobulated. I just thought I'd stop by and say hi. He regarded her for a moment, then leaned forward and pecked her on the lips. Hi. Are you okay? He made a little circle in the air with his forefinger, giving her a rueful smile. Me too, she said. It's the rain, I guess. I guess. It had never been the rain, and they both knew it. The rain was just easier to talk about. So, how about some cocoa, media star? She sat at his kitchen table while he made it. Still pinned to the refrigerator door by a magnetized seashell, was the snapshot she had taken of John and Michael in Half Moon Bay. Averting her gaze, she commanded herself not to cry. John had been dead for over three months, but she felt the loss more acutely now than ever. To gain distance on the tragedy was to grasp, for the first time, the terrible enormity of it. While they sipped their cocoa, she told Michael about her rebellious crew and the rude police, about the few brief moments she had actually laid eyes on the Queen. She stayed long enough to make him laugh out loud several times, then said goodnight and climbed the stairs to the house on the roof. There, as usual, she found her husband asleep in the flickering light of MTV. Hey, she whispered, kneeling by the sofa. I'm sorry I broke our date. He smiled drowsily at her. Hey, did you see me? He nodded. Mrs. Madrigal and I watched. You were terrific. You're not just saying that? 
He raised himself slightly on his elbows and rubbed his eyes again. I'm never just saying that. He reached out and pulled her onto the sofa next to him. I almost lost my job today, he said after a moment of silence. What? It's okay. I didn't. I smoothed things out. What happened? Oh, I punched out this guy. Brian? She tried not to sound too judgmental, but this had happened before. It's okay. It wasn't a customer or anything. It was just that new waiter, Jerry, the one with the Jordache look. Oh, yeah. Anyway, he shot off his mouth all day about one goddamn thing or another. Then he saw me eat a French fry off a plate that had just been bust, and he said, Shit, man, you've played hell now. I asked him what he meant by that, and he said, That was a faggot's plate, dumbass. You're dating.